general nerdery. So I bought myself this new set of long underwear the other day, and if you live in Montana, like us, where it has been negative five on average in the mornings when I get up to go to work, out, yeah, I mean, out in the boonies of the boonies, uh, you understand that new long underwear is worth their weight in gold. Except it doesn't fit right, and it kept, like, trying to slide up above my, like, even above my, like, uh, a belly button, and I was like, man, I know I'm not, like, as small as I used to be, but what the <laughs> fuck? And then I checked today and realized, or yesterday, uh, that they sent me the wrong size. Oh. And instead of the extra large, I was trying to wear men's small. Wow. That's I have not worn a men's small since I was 12 years old. It's quite the difference. I feel much better about the size of my stomach now that I understand. I was like, oh, I didn't stand a chance. Like, no, it's it's a sign of the stretchiness of these that I <laughs> didn't just like hulk out of these in the first place. Yeah, that's some good stretchy right? fabric. No, no, high quality. Uh, welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things and apparently reviews of long underwear. We're your Jones of Nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And if we are a little loopy today, please understand that we are recording this three days before Thanksgiving, and both of us work in retail. Whew. <laughs> I've been so out of it all weekend. And it, oh, it's, my it's God. been like the type of out of it, too, where it's not like, it's not like then I'm crashing out and getting good sleep either at night. It's like I'm still processing everything. Yeah, I've just been staring... At the wall, and I don't know for how long. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be crazy for the next month, but it's going to be a different kind of crazy yeah, it comes past <laughs> Thanksgiving. So I'm glad that this week is going to be over soon. Christmas at grocery stores gets less bad than Thanksgiving at grocery stores. However, for all of our dear friends who work at any other kind of store shopping outlet, uh, we see you. We love you. <laughs> Hold strong. <laughs> Oh, I don't miss those days. Nope. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Uh, what have we been ingesting? That's a good question. What have we... I've been getting caught up on a lot of things. Uh-huh. I'd only watched, like, the first three episodes of this latest season of What We Do in the Shadows. Mm -hmm. So I finally finished off that. Maybe my least favorite season so far, but it's still the show that I would contend has yet to have a bad episode, so... Yeah. <sighs> As we've discussed many times on this podcast about liking things, there has to be a worst. Even if you like it. All. Even if you like it. Um, so that was cool. I'm glad I'm caught up, though. Like, I was just like, ooh, what are we do in the shadows? Ooh, mm -hmm. what are we do in the shadows? Let me see. To go along with that, I had just pretty much not watched this latest season of Reservation Dogs till this last weekend. And it's amazing. Holy shit, I'm probably going to rewatch it very, very soon because it's really, really, really good. I really need to watch Reservation Dogs. I would <sighs> I would say, let's watch that soon. But we've, we're going through like four seasons of a fucking TV show. So um, like I love the first season, but I didn't feel any need to rewatch the first season. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm probably still going to at some point just because it's really good. Yes, it, I understand. But this second season, I was like, ooh, ooh, this is... They, they got it. They're, they're like in the groove. It's, oh, it's fucking stupendous. So good. Let me see. I'm almost caught up or yeah. One episode left in the second season of outlaws, which was that, um, Amazon prime one with, uh, Christopher Walken and Steven merchant. And it's a dramedy about like a bunch of 
probationers on community service, and it... I feel like you've mentioned this to me before. It It's complicated, but it ends up becoming, like, a British crime thriller slash comedy. Hell yeah. Dramedy. Hell yeah. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> really enjoying it, though. Really fun. Let me see. I think I'm about halfway, maybe a little over halfway. I can't remember how many episodes I have left. Um, I started on Miss Marvel. Oh. I they're they're just about to go home from when they leave the country. Oh, so you're still in Pakistan. Yeah. But you're I'm at the very end of all of that. Okay. Yeah. I love Miss Marvel. I thought it had some slightly weird pacing issues, but I thought the character work was charming enough that I didn't really care that that those last couple episodes uh, when they're in Pakistan, I ran into something weird with it because I, I feel like it was some of the best storytelling that they were doing in the series, Mm -hmm. but it completely interrupted the fact that I was really enjoying the story of her learning how to be a superhero in Jersey city. That's fair. I, I appreciated it because it was nice to see Parts of the world that's not, you know, Mm -hmm. New York City get superheroes. It's the classic Marvel problem of like, man, there's like 600 heroes in New York City. What's the rest of the world doing? Oh, they're there. But yeah, I can see that. Like it it completely changes the game to take her and put her in the middle of Pakistan when up to now she's literally been hometown girl. Mm hmm. And it was just, like like I said, it was weird, though, too, because it was like, it kind of took me out of it, but at the same time, I was able to recognize that I'm like, oh, but these episodes are all also, like, masterpieces in their own right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It did kind of interrupt the entire flow of the show a little bit for me, though. I mean, this was the kind of what I mean by pacing yeah. issues. Like, uh, what do you think of her power set being the crystal thingy she's got going on? I mean, I... Because you've not really read much. I haven't Marvel, read. Have not, no, not really. Like I'm, like I know who she is. I've definitely ran into her here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly in different like team ups and stuff, but I don't because of that. I don't have any. Like I don't care what her power no, set that's is fair. necessarily. That's, that's what I was curious about. And I, to me, I'm like, oh, this is cool. This way, they have their own Green Lantern. I was really. Part of me is really bummed because I really like the way that they did the embiggening power. Mm-hmm. I thought it just was visually cool. But her power set is wicked in this one. So, like, <laughs> I'm not I'm like, oh, it's, it's different. But it's still really good. Yeah. So, like. And it won't lessen when we get, like, a read in all of his glory this way. There won't be the weird overlap. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, it there was going to be a weird overlap. Also, Reed is kind of body horror enough. In real life, I honestly think the embiggening power of, like, my hand is now, like, yeah, that's huge would have looked creepy. It's not... I, I feel like that doesn't fit the tone of the show that they're making. <laughs> exactly. So, no, I'm... I think it's cool that they are... They basically were like, this is a, a way that we can have our own Green Lantern and not fuck it up. Also, we're going to use little bits of Quasar in here because even Marvel is never going to fucking use Quasar in the TV show. Right. But he's pretty cool. So, uh, 
And then I fucking love her parents in that. Sorry, I'm, uh, like a and then like a month and a half after I said I was going to actually start <laughs> in on it, I actually did start in on Deathloop, and I've only played it a couple hours so far. But that actually speaks to how much it pulled me in because I turned on that game when I should have been taking a nap instead. Which one is Deathloop? The you're an assassin and it's like a Groundhog's Day scenario Ooh, made that from sounds interesting and terrifying. And it's it's the makers of the Dishonored games. OK. And so you're basically like you have. You have some form of amnesia going in on it. You're like you just think you were like partying hard the, the night before and wake up and you're like <laughs> and then you start realizing because like your character is constantly talking to himself and he's just like, wait. What's my what's my name? And he starts seeing things like in the air, just hallucinating like words and stuff, talking to him. And he's like, Cole, okay, so I guess that's my name. And like Guess I'm Jim Bob. And it's it's slowly figuring out what the hell's going on while also knowing that like apparently you have to break the loop, whatever that means. And whenever you die, you suddenly wake back up in that same place in that morning. It's kind of an interesting way to do a roguelike that's not a rogue. Yeah, it's it's weird so far. Like I said, I'm only a couple hours in um, the storytelling and how engaging it was, was the only reason I made it those two hours because I should have been sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I feel that so hard. And then I also went really hard for like five days on Vampire Survivors. Really the the one that you were showing me yeah. last week, and I started playing dance rave music to it. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I haven't went back to that since, but not for any particular reason. More that I do need sleep sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, very colorful. I'm sure yeah. it's caused someone to have a stroke somewhere. Yeah, it definitely gives you the warning about <laughs> if you if you have photo like photosensitive seizures for it. Like, don't play this. This will not be good for you, especially if you get the laser beams going and everything's just. Oh, let's see. Oh, I can tell you what I haven't been fucking ingesting, which has been killing me. Hmm. Uh, the new Pokemon game that I bought on Friday and it is now Monday and I have yet to find time to play it. This is why I don't do like day of releases anymore. Man, I'm I'm torn because I haven't played it and so I can't say anything about it from experience, but I have seen some gameplay videos and I don't know if it's Game Freak needs to get their act together or Nintendo finally needs to get a more powerful platform, but that game looks crappier than some PlayStation 2 games like graphics wise and loading wise. And like, I've seen the people just trying to throw pokeballs and it just, oof. oof. Okay. So I thought, I thought my video was buffering on my phone. So here's, what's interesting. I have heard such wildly conflicting reviews of this game from people who have played it. Mm -hmm. I've heard people who are like, I picked up this fucking game after not playing Pokemon for years. And people who've been Pokemon fans for years and people who are light fans who are all like, this is the best Pokemon game just mm -hmm. flat out. Oh my God. The things that it does. And then other people going, this is the buggiest piece of shit I've ever played. And I've not played it. 
So I don't know. Right. <laughs> I do, I do. right. And here's the thing. I haven't played it. I just, I was so curious when it dropped and then I just started seeing. Oh yeah. No, um, I get it. The The reason I might sound a little defensive there is because the people who have opinions either way have been lecturing me <laughs> about how they're right and the other people are wrong. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I want to know. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I've heard that they do a lot of interesting things. I, I don't know. Most of the bugs that I've heard from a lot of people are less play bugs and more, um, oh, the mountains will glitch out while you're throwing the Pokeball or whatever. So, like, it, it's not stuff that's going to interfere with gameplay too much. Probably won't bother me. But that's what I've heard. Again, I've not mm -hmm. played it. I want to fucking play this game. <laughs> <laughs> they let you ride the legendary Pokemon like it's a fucking motorcycle. Like, come on, man. Um... Things I have been doing, though, I have been starting to catch up on Andor. I'm only on episode five still. Okay. They're just about to hit the Imperial base, too. I right. Th they're stealing a payroll or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Either way, I'm in. It's increasingly better. Those first three episodes were good, but they were slow. And I'm actually not mad about it being slow, but it it's nice to get a little more character development and growth mm -hmm. happening here. Mon Mothma is more interesting than she's ever been. Ever. Which is admittedly an extremely low bar. I've got nothing <laughs> against Mon Mothma, but she's the soft talking woman who, who wears an all white thing. And she was the many Bothans of died lady. Yes. And they made such a big deal about her being back in revenge of the Sith. And I don't think she gets a fucking line. No, she doesn't. Like, I but think she they, doesn't, like, on the DVD, like, I think in a cutscene she does. It's the same way they made a big deal about bringing Tarkin back, and they didn't give him a fucking line. Uh, but they brought that same actress back from Revenge of the Sith for this. She and I'm like... Destroys. Good job, She's girl. She's so good. <laughs> I'm really sad that your home life sucks ass, but, like, <laughs> that's about as far as I've gotten so Sorry, far. Your daughter and your husband are shits. Daughter's defense. She doesn't... She's clearly been insulated from what mom is doing of, like... True. Fomenting rebellion against an <laughs> empire. Like, fair enough. But I haven't gone that far. Uh, have finally watched Encanto. Oh, nice. What'd you think? I really liked it. Yeah. That's the that's the really deep thought I had. It was great. It was... It made me a little teary towards the end. Uh, I, I really liked it. I feel like I was more blown away by the quality of the animation more than anything. Holy the shit. The animation is... Gorgeous. Turns out I still really like Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm -hmm. Does good music. Uh, I've noticed a kickback against him in the last year of people who were like, fine, that's great. You liked Hamilton. We don't have to idolize this guy. And I'm like, nope, still kind of do. <laughs> not idolize. That's not accurate. But mm -hmm. like, when I find out Lin-Manuel Miranda is doing a thing, I'm like, all right, I'm going to pay attention to that. I can't think of her name, but the, the main character who plays Rosa Diaz in uh, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, she plays Mirabella in it. I am Stephanie Beatrice. Mm. She's really good in ways that I didn't necessarily realize she was when I first started watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, she's got a pretty good range of what she can do, and her voice, her singing voice is extremely... Who is the, the perfect sister? Oh, I cannot... Think of the name. Isabella. Isabella is done by Diane Guerrero, who's Crazy Jane in Doom Patrol. Ooh. 
Side note, 90% sure she's supposed to be a lesbian that they didn't have publicly come out with the way that that story was running. <laughs> yeah, probably. Not making fun of that in any way, shape, or form. I just kept waiting for, like, I didn't want to marry this guy. Everything has to be perfect. I have to do what, like, I was like, just to meet your gay, honey. Like, it's okay. <laughs> we support you. I would have seen that movie so much sooner if somebody would have fucking told me that Johnny Legs was Bruno. <laughs> Everybody kept going on about fucking we don't talk about Bruno and shit. Fucking talk about him enough to let me know that it's John Leguizamo because <laughs> I would have been in the fucking theater. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that until just recently either. Uh, that would have that had me in the theater. I would have been like, Johnny Legs, let's do this. He is great. Even in really bad movies, he's good. Yeah. He almost makes me want to watch The Pest again, and I actively hated The Pest. I love The Pest, but that's a different story. (laughs) I don't know. If I watched it now, I would either love it more or hate it more, because I haven't watched it since I was, like, seven. Probably hate it more, because you would have the active, like, realization that the bad guy is being played by Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones, that's the... Principal Rooney from Ferris Bueller. No, no. Oh, well, at least he's playing a bad guy. Uh, Isn't he in jail for pedophilia or something like that? I don't know if he ever went to jail, but, like, yeah, things happened. Yeah, he bad. Yeah. (laughs) God, that makes uh, uh, Ferris Bueller way creepier. Okay, anyways, Encanto's fucking great. Yeah, Encanto's Um, great. Uh, Very pretty. Uh, And then I have been listening to the audiobooks of the original Thrawn trilogy. Oh, no shit. Which, I mean, I've read them several times over the years, but it's been several years. I mean, admission, I've never actually went through the Thrawn trilogy. They're fantastic. Yeah. One, Mark Thompson, who's doing all of the Star Wars audiobooks right now, he... He's like the greatest Star Wars narrator, audiobook reader they've ever had. He does, um, he's done all of the X-Wing books. He's done all of the Thrawn books now. I think he's done the new Timothy Zahn, Timothy Zahn Thrawn books, but I'm not 100% on that. And he's been doing all of the High Republic stuff. Mm. So like, he's real good. And I mean, I enjoyed all the other things, but this is the first one that I've heard him do where he's doing like Han Solo. Lando, Luke, his Han and Lando voices are extremely good. His Luke voice is solid. His Leia voice is, it's good. (laughs) It doesn't sound too much like Carrie Fisher, but he's also a dude named Mark Thompson. Like, I don't expect him to like. There's only so far it's going to go. Yeah, I just credit him for not falling for the audiobook narrator trap of doing all of the women voices in falsetto. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, please stop, please. Uh, it is really interesting to read because the, the Thrawn trilogy is not the birth of the expanded universe. There had been outside media before that, but it's the birth of what we think of as the expanded universe. Like it came out right along the same time as the Dark Empire books from Dark Horse, the comic books. And it's interesting. Most of the expanded universe ever since does everything they can to not talk about the Dark Empire crossover books, but fucking masturbates over the <laughs> Thrawn trilogy. And I've read both. I own both of them. Like, they're Dark Empire's fine. It just mm-hmm. 
does not fit any of the rest of the timeline in any way, shape, or form. I think Timothy Zahn, who wrote the Thrawn books, is the only guy I can think of that took the time to be like, oh, right, Luke died, or Luke fell to the dark side, and the Emperor, like, leveled large parts of Coruscant, and we just stopped talking about that. <laughs> we just didn't mention that that happened, I think, like, two years before Thrawn? Yes. Or two that. years after Thrawn? I don't remember. Uh, whoops. Um, and also like this book came out before the prequels, right? By a couple of, by I think like five years. So you can see the places where the star Wars universe in many ways owes itself to this book or these books. And also the star Wars RPG from the eighties that Zahn decided to use because he didn't want to invent 80 new fucking species and like figure out what the fuck a Twi'lek was. And, you mm -hmm. know, cause a lot of that stuff, Twi'lek specifically, I know for sure comes from the star Wars tabletop RPG. It, it, most of it wasn't necessarily George Lucas notes, but like, I don't know, some bored dude at TSR or whoever owned the license back in the day. Well, I mean, we were um, just talking about Andor and Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma's name is never said in any of the OT. Not once. I don't think, no, Akbar's name is said, but like barely. Mm -hmm. It was the, the fucking RPG and the toy line mm -hmm. where we got a lot of this. But, but it's interesting, like, okay, thing that you don't really think about because who the Sith are is so defined. That didn't really exist. They had mentioned, I think, somewhere in the original trilogy that Vader is the Dark Lord, Lord of, of the, the Sith. Sith. But what that fucking means is leader of the Knights of Ren wildly up in the air. <laughs> so um, they don't ever refer to him as a Sith in this when they talk about him. He's any any dark side user is just a dark Jedi, mm -hmm. which even Zan later on was like, I don't really like the term dark Jedi. We just didn't have anything else better. Yeah. And it's kind of a bummer. I mean, it's called the Thrawn trilogy. There's a reason Thrawn is the character that's made it out. That who's fucking playing Thrawn? It's like one of the Mickelsons. I don't remember. Either way, it's a. It's. I a, mean, it should have been Mads, but they had already used him in in a Rogue One. So he was fun in it. Yeah, he was great in Rogue One, but he also would have been the perfect. He would have been yeah, fan fucking tastic. <laughs> but it's it's interesting to see this because this is early Thrawn and he's a little more vindictive than like Thrawn is often depicted. I mean, when we see him in rebels, it's a kid's show on Disney. Like they do a lot. They do some dark stuff, but for the most part, they limit what he can do to an extent. Uh, yeah. It looks like it's going to be Lars Mikkelsen. Okay. Well, that'll still be fucking great. That'll still be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ever wonder if Lars is like, I'm good too. <laughs> Uh, but it, it, the reason it kind of bums me out is as much as I love Thrawn, there are so many other good characters that were introduced in those books that just don't get any like oxygen because Thrawn has all of our fucking attention. Mara Jade being the obvious one. Mm -hmm. Although I understand she's really hard to use if you're not going to let her get married to Luke Skywalker because their stories were so intertwined. Side note, I find it 100% believable that without Mara Jade, Skywalker ends up a hermit who dies. So I 
I know what she actually looks like based on the the amount of times I've encountered her in books and mm-hmm. read her description. However, every time I read and or hear Mara Jade's name, the first thing I think of is Jade from Mortal Kombat. No. <laughs> <laughs> Make her a redhead and give her some pants and it might work or Yeah. Jade wasn't one of the ones with like the Melina teeth, was she? No. Okay, no. yeah, then give her red hair and some pants and that might work. That might work. Uh, <laughs> But also, like, Talon Card, who's this, like, smuggler yeah. king who's fucking amazing. I love Talon Card. And uh, General Garmbel Iblis, who is a a founder of the Rebel Alliance who splits away from them and is, like, brought back into the fold during the Thrawn Crisis, who's... A free, both All of these are really good characters that are just... They just don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's fine. Like, I enjoy the stuff that's coming out now, but I, I'm just like, oh, man, you were so cool. You had the big fucking mustache. Bring me a big angry mustache, man. <laughs> make him a general of the rebels. Things would go better. It did make me, during my lunch break, watch clips from the uh, the Rise of Skywalker. Mm. Because, I don't know, I just got thinking Mm -hmm. about it and, like, looking at the Lando of this versus Lando here. And, like, okay, Thrawn trilogy never would have worked for the new sequels in the movies. One, too much fucking happens to fit any of these into a single movie. Like, it's just what you can do in a 300-page novel is wildly different than what you can do in a a two-and-a-half-hour movie. The the Thrawn trilogy would have been, like, a sextet of movies. Pretty easy. Three-season series preferably 15 episodes each. Yeah. <laughs> like minimum. Uh, so I've never been one of like, no, they should have done Thrawn. Blah, 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 blah. We, we talked about it. And I was thinking about our, our rise of Skywalker episode. I'm not as fond of rise of Skywalker as I was when we recorded that episode. There continued to be places where I have major riffs with the choices they made dude i was just thinking but, about it the other day at work like i went into the bathroom and i'm like why didn't she just say her name was only ray anyway you know what i actually don't mind that part ray Skywalker. i'm fine with it but like we've talked about it i still fucking hate the uh redemption of kylo ren and then mm. they kiss even if i accept the redemption of kylo ren the like oh we're alive i tortured you remember that want to make out gonna die now <laughs> like just doesn't work for me but some of the emotional beats that they landed are extremely good in that movie. Plot-wise, giant fucking mess. No <laughs> arguments there. But, like, when Lando shows up with, like, half the fucking galaxy and freighters going, let's do this, I'm in. I was feeling that. They have the music right. Nice. I'm, I'm going to rewatch that. I don't think I've watched it since it was in theaters. Mm. So I'm going to rewatch it again. But, yeah. It's all Star Wars. Also, reading these books, and they're good. I really like these. They are not the end-all, be-all of Star Wars that we keep making them out to be. They're Star Wars. They have weird plot gaps. They have, like... The be-all, end-all currently is Andor, in my opinion. Andor is my now my favorite Star Wars. That Yeah. Like, you know, and even that one, give it a year or two, we're going to look back and be like, why was that the choice they made there? (laughs) Or like, I don't expect perfection from Star Wars, but we have built up the Thrawn trilogy as like the perfect Star Wars. And it's not. It's 
extremely good. It's A plus Star Wars, but like, eh, you know. mm-hmm. yeah, maybe be all end all wouldn't be it, but A plus or maybe my number one. I don't know what be all end all would be, but it would have more Jedi in it than Andor has. I mean, the original trilogy, but even they have are rife with fucking flaws. Mm-hmm. The I'd say New Hope, but the fucking Jedi battle is awful between <laughs> Vader and Obi Wan, and like. Rebels goes a long way to try to make that fight not so fucking weird and awkward by showing like the change in Obi-Wan's fighting style, but it it's just not a good fight. Like there's no getting around that, you know, Empire's fucking great, but it's a bummer of a movie at mm-hmm. the same time. I remember. So this, this actually ties back to a, a few episodes ago mm. and I'm just, I was, I can't believe I didn't bring it up when we talked about Willow. But now Willow's about to drop like this week. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask when that drops. I knew that I didn't know if it was out yet. But I think it, it starts Friday. Oh fuck yes. Um, I think that sounds right. Anyway, uh, but because I just caught up on reservation dogs, one of the main characters is named Laura Dannon. <laughs> and they comment on it <laughs> a few times every season. Somebody'll like learn her name for the first time and be like and just like throw out like some trivia about the movie, like <laughs> that poor girl. <laughs> that I fucking love Willow. I generally I'm not of the opinion that you should name anyone after fiction that you enjoy, particularly if it's fucking weird. It's one thing to name someone Luke. I'm not saying you should name a kid after Luke Skywalker, but like mm-hmm. it was like, oh, your name's Luke. Great. Whatever. There's a bunch of Lukes. If your name is Daenerys. There's no getting around to that. I could never name a kid Luke because people would automatically be like, so like Skywalker, huh? Is that their middle name? But fucking no, it's not. I I didn't know him as in he was my age. I knew someone who had a kid named Theoden. I've got a buddy named Arendil Echo Starguard. Hmm. His parents are both Lord of the Rings master's degree folk. Um, <laughs> nice. But yeah. But yeah, Laura. Laura Dannon. It's great. Sorry. I'm just, I'm so, I'm still laughing at a couple of the fucking jokes from that. I woke up this morning laughing about a couple of the jokes from that second season. And Amber Midthunder from Prey shows up in an episode. Holy fuck, she has one of the best jokes in the entire season. Excellent. She's like a TikTok native influencer. <laughs> and shows up for a decolonization day. Interesting. Fantastic. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I will say the hand of, or the the Thrawn trilogy is good enough that I'm going to pick up the Hand of Thrawn duology, which was the sequel mm. Timothy Zahn wrote. That was pretty much, I think, him being like, "Thrawn is dead. Get over it. Let's move on." I say, and then he continues to write Thrawn-related books to this day. I think he's written six just mm. since Disney took over. Some of that uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle energy. <laughs> I mean, he continues to like Thrawn. I just... (laughs) Oh, man, Doyle hated fucking Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, he did. Why? Why is he so popular? Yeah, suck it, you weirdo. You're an idiot that got beaten by two little girls with fucking paper fairies and a, like, old camera. I mean, so we watched trailers this time. How much are we going to talk about them? Because there's not much to say. We watched The Witcher one. It has Michelle Yeoh. I'm going to watch it. 
I yeah. literally have nothing else. Oh, and also, I love the amount of black elves and things because I can just hear white supremacists scream the whole time. I mean, I'm going to watch it just to see what the fuck goes on, but... Michelle Yeoh has a sword. We know that goes well. We've both seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. Basically, yeah. From that trailer, I was like, I'm in it for the fantasy action that seems to be going on and the big pretty landscapes. Yeah. My entire connection to The Witcher is the first episode that I watched and then changed to something else because I didn't have the attention span for it at the time. Yeah. I mean, I'll probably watch this in season three and then I'm probably done with The Witcher. I'm not sure if I'm going to continue into the Liam Hemsworth era. We'll find out. (laughs) I actually really hope that season four is good. Like for, for Liam's case. I mean, I don't know. Obviously I don't know Liam Hemsworth, but like, I don't even know if I've seen anything with him, but the more people automatically go, this is going to suck. The more I'm like, I hope they're wrong. Just because that's got to be such a bummer for the people who are working hard on it. Yeah. I just, it's already on a downward trajectory from season two is the problem. Fair and enough. And then there's all the drama behind the scenes. I'm leading not saying to it's going to be Liam. great. I'm saying I feel bad mm-hmm. for Liam Hemsworth and yeah. I want it to be good for his sake. I'll like, agree. <laughs> I have a feeling he's going to be good. It's everything else about it. That, that is, is it's boring. rough. Yeah. I have a feeling he's going to be fine. Witcher, whatchamacallit. I already forget what this one is called. Um, uh, Witcher. Blood Origins. Blood Origins. Okay. It's a doofy name. That's fine. It's fantasy. Yeah, it's a prequel series. I think it's set like a, no, I couldn't be a thousand years before, but it's like the making of the first Witcher. Yeah, so. it, it, it's old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we watched the John trailer Wick for John Wick 4, 4. Which you haven't seen a single John Wick, right? Nope. I don't even know if I've ever seen a trailer for John Wick before. All I have is this. Uh, do, you, do you at least know the plot of the first one? Because that's the most the easiest one to break down the plot. He's a, a former assassin and someone killed his dog? Pretty much, yeah. That's literally all I've put together. And there's like some kind of assassin, like secret society that he's a part of or something. Yeah, that comes up more in two. Okay, th- this is, I'm yeah. literally saying everything I know about oh, the fucking. I know. Uh, so here's an interesting, because it's a franchise you are familiar with. John Wick 1 and 2 are basically Evil Dead 1 and 2. Where they're <sighs> the same goddamn movie except they know what they're doing with the second one so they can actually expand on the lore and flesh out everything. Or with Evil Dead, they more just fleshed out the jokes, but... Is it a... Is it, like, a complete remake? Let's not mention that this has happened before, like, the first one, or...? No, no, it still fits, but, like, basically the same thing happens. It's not the exact same thing, but basically the same thing. (laughs) Uh... For whatever reason, Lawrence Fishburne, from what little I saw of him here, made me be like, all right, let's do this. I don't know why I I already like Keanu Reeves enough that I want to watch the movie. Uh, Watching that trailer made me realize why everyone went, oh, gunpowder lipstick. It's John Wick with a female star. Oh, yeah, gunpowder milkshake. That's it, gunpowder milkshake. All right, yeah, I can see that now. I liked At some point, we should probably just do like a romp through the John Wicks. We've talked about it. We originally were going to do before COVID hit way back when, uh, because there was going to be that like month of Keanu Reeves where he had three major movies drop in the same time. Because it was going to be Matrix, Matrix, John Wick and Bill and Ted all in the same like within a month of each other. From and, different and companies. Like, and hadn't like cyberpunk dropped like two weeks or two months before. Or something I like don't that. remember like, in that case, but yeah, it was like the month of Keanu and we were like, all right, we'll do Keanu month. And then that 
<laughs> fucking went to hell. So it got put off. But yeah, we will eventually. I don't know how we'll do John Wick, but we'll definitely do John Wick. And I still kind of want to do the new Matrix sometime because I, I haven't. Know. I still haven't watched it. I heard it was I feel only okay. But that. like, <laughs> honestly, three of the four Matrixes have always only been okay. But they still do interesting, beautiful things in all of them. So that's fine. I'm I'm excited because I have watched all the John Wicks. I have the first three on Blu-ray in the other room. Yeah. But, like, I don't... That, honestly, there's still not much to that trailer. Good. I mean, also, John Wick is not the plot-heaviest fucking movies ever made. Like, No. It has gotten a lot more complicated than that first movie. Oh, sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... John Wick is a bunch of stunt people working with Keanu Reeves to make beautiful stunt movies and being like... All right, what's an interesting plot that gives us an excuse to do this? Like, how can we redefine action movies for a generation? Hey, I'm excited. That's yeah. about all I got. Uh, okay, so let's take a quick break and then let's go from the future of action movies to the past of sitcoms. So there's plenty of debates about what is the best season of Blackadder. It's definitely not the first one, but like two, three, or four. Everyone's got their own opinions. All of them are. Probably right in their own way. I will definitively say the the uh, end credits music for this season is the best of them. It's a fucking bop. I think now we haven't gotten on to four yet, mm-hmm. but having rewatched the first two and now this one, I think the way I would rate it is that two has my favorite Blackadder. Yes. Three is possibly the overall funniest season overall and four is possibly the best overall now having not watched all the four and it's been so long since i've watched any of it i cannot comment i definitely agree that you know i i like lord edmund blackadder the best mr e blackadder the the mm-hmm. Ed blackadder the third is the smartest i would say and uh also the most evil. Oh, yeah. Directly cruel in ways that the others Directly aren't. murderous in ways the others aren't. And um, <laughs> I think this one is a more even season than the previous season. Yeah. It was funny. So after, after we recorded the last episode, we kind of were just like, oh, you know, let's, you know, try to pay attention to some of the, since we're only covering one season this time, let's pay kind of attention to like, some of the better like Blackadder moments and and this or that. And I was thinking about this going through and I was like, this season is like a lot of my favorite lines in this season aren't said by Blackadder. Baldrick? Just across the board, just supporting cast. Mm -hmm. Like everybody gets jokes this season. Real quick while we're on that. So Mm -hmm. uh, the cast is mostly the same as the previous ones, but specifically... The main cast is Rowan Atkinson as Edmund Blackadder, Tony Robinson as Baldrick, Hugh Laurie as George, the Prince Regent, and Helen Atkinson Wood as Mrs. Miggins. Yes. Uh, and then, oh, I can't think of his friggin' name. He was um, uh, Tim McIerney, who was uh, yeah, Tim Percy McInerney. Percy in the previous two seasons. Shows up in an episode. Does show up in an episode, not as Percy Percy. And the woman who played the queen in the previous season, Miranda Richardson, shows up in an episode. She's Amy. As Amy, who I fucking loved. Yeah, she was so good in this one, (laughs) Uh, which is fun because I was 
ready to hate her as much as Black Adder did, and then I kind of adored her <laughs> as time went on. Uh, and Stephen Fry shows up for the final episode as Duke Wellington. Yes. Is anybody? Oh, well, I mean. So that's of people who had been in the series before. Mm -hmm. There's some other really fun people who show up in this season. Uh, Should we talk about them in their specific episodes or bring up other people who show up now? Because, well, there was one that you sent to me in text that I had forgotten. Let's do them in the episodes. Let's do them as they go along. Mrs. Miggins doesn't get a bunch of time in this. She's the newest character. She doesn't fall into the kind of Blackadder pattern of like here's people from each family but she runs a coffee house nearby her best thing is in the episode with the fucking um poets yes yeah uh this one is specifically last time we saw lord blackadder he was a lord in the court of queen elizabeth the is that the second queen elizabeth Right, Elizabethan England. Yes, Elizabethan England. Now, we have now moved on to Regency <laughs> England. So Roughly Regency England. This um, season plays faster and looser with the timelines than any of the others. But roughly the era of the Napoleonic Wars. Mm-hmm. So shortly after the American Revolution, give or take that timeline. Uh, Hugh Laurie comes in. Huey Laurie had me watching Chiefs and Wooster after this was done. And God, <laughs> I like Hugh Laurie as a comedic actor more than I like him. Like, you know, like goofy dillweed Hugh Laurie than I like House. See, this had me about ready to start in on House again because I fucking love that shit. And I am not in any mm-hmm. way insulting House. I just, for me, I like Jeeves yeah. more than I like House. Or I like Wooster more than I like House. I like... right. I like him Prince poking. George. <laughs> I like him poking fun at rich British shitheads more than I like him as a grumpy doctor. Again, this falls under what we were talking about before of other stuff. Of there has to be a the worst in your opinion. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that that is bad. <laughs> and I am reinforcing this really heavily because I can just hear people going, "No, house is good, actually, Zach." And I'm like. It I is know. good. <laughs> this is not the argument that I'm making. Uh, it's medical Sherlock. I'm down. Yeah. The Sherlock part is the part that interests me. The medical part is the part where I get a little... I'm not... The only hospital show I've ever got invested in is Scrubs. So that's really mm. what it is. And I didn't watch it for the medical shit. So, uh, But he, the, the point is, Hugh Laurie... And he's pretty much just playing Wooster, but like richer and shittier Wooster... Mm-hmm. I don't actually know which came first, Jeeves and Wooster or this, but... I don't either off the top of my head. I think this, but I might be wrong on that. I suspect so, but we are checking real fast. Oh no, this. By about three years. Yep, because Jeeves and Wooster came out in 1990. When did A Bit of Fry and Lori come out? That was 1987, so that was like the same year as this. Yeah. I wonder if that or this came. Either way, uh, this is where like some of the great. I mean, the show really is where some of the great British actors of that generation really. Well, this this is generally Blackadder is generally considered to be the show that made both Fry and Laurie household names, whether they were famous or not before. Yes, the, but this ratcheted them up. Yeah, successful versus famous is mm-hmm. the kind of things. 
So before we dive into this, let's just talk about, obviously Prince George is a unique character this season. We have seen Hugh Laurie in a couple of different roles the previous season as a drunken idiot. So kind of this character <laughs> and as the German spy oh, yeah, the German. who might actually be the Prince Regent's father or not father, but like it would be uncle, I believe. I think I saw somebody put it together that that kind of is funny because it makes sense because mm-hmm. he is related to the Germans. You know, because the pre the first two seasons relied heavily on jokes about Shakespeare because Shakespeare wrote in two eras his historical stuff, which is where the first season leaned heavily on, and his modern day quote unquote modern day comedies, which is what a lot of the Elizabethan season leaned mm-hmm. on. They had to move on from that. And I think in some ways not leaning on Shakespeare worked better for this season. Yeah. Uh, Although they still definitely leaned heavily on like major characters from British history. I mean, fucking so fucking many of them in this one specifically. I or Lord Wellington. Yeah. But, uh, Pitt the younger Pitt is Pitt the younger, a real one. Pitt okay. The younger is a real one. Although he was actually 24 when he, yeah, fair enough, but it's better to go with mm-hmm. this. Uh, and then the, the authors, cause it's, uh, Percy and not Percy. It's uh, not Mary Shelley. Shelley's piece of shit uh, husband and uh, Percy Bryce Shelley. Yeah, and Byron. Yes, Lord Byron. <laughs> okay, but so we have Baldrick again. Baldrick is basically still just Baldrick. I I feel like this season he's a little bit smarter than season two. He's very dumb. Well, I don't know. It varies on the episode. Yeah. Because in the earlier ones, he's much dumber. In the later ones, he's arguably somewhere between one and two, though. But he's quicker. Yeah. His that might be the difference. What it is he's at least as dumb as the previous guy. He's he's got a faster retort than Mm -hmm. season two Baldrick had, who did not have the ability to do repartee in the, the way that this Baldrick does. Right. Edmund Blackadder, as we discussed, he is significantly more evil. Yeah. Um, Wait, other thing on Baldrick, they, here's the thing. They never comment on it, but because they never comment on it, it must've gotten better. This Baldrick seems to be a competent cook. Yeah, that's fair. He's higher up in life too, than the previous Baldrick. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still, I think he said that he eats manure for dinner at least once in this episode, yes, I, but I mean, like season one, I mean, episode one. Yes. He mentions eating manure for dinner. He's so. a, he's a dog's body, which in this one, which is like a Butler's assistant from what I can tell. I think so. Um, also they refer to Blackadder as a Butler, the Butler position. When you're the Butler of the Prince Regent. It's different that's, than a normal Butler. Yeah. That's pretty high station considering the fact that like you are not, in any way, shape, or form, a member of the gentry. Uh, a dog's body is just a person who is given boring, menial tasks to do. Okay, so he's kind of the same, actually. I take that back. He just—he <laughs> doesn't sleep in the gutter this time. No, no, he seems to sleep in the kitchen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is this is uh, Tony Robbins' best season by far, at least of the three that I've seen. Yeah. 
God, who else? I mean, I guess that's that's those three really are Hugh Laurie or uh, uh, Prince Prince George, Prince George, Mister E Blackadder, and Baldrick really are the main ones. Mrs. Miggins is there for like plot advancement, and so they have a woman in every episode. I kind of hate to say it, but and she's funny, but she's really just like the average British person. Her character is is not it's not very similar at all, but at the same time felt like just a uh like propped up more thought out uh mistress ploppy. Which one's pl- is that uh uh Nursey? No, plot from head. There was Mr. Ploppy and Mistress Ploppy, but they weren't actually married to each other. Mm, oh, yeah, that's right. That's okay, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the executioners. Yeah. And, not assistance. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the executive assistance. Yeah. I did. Oh God. I did watch, and I don't usually watch these shows twice just because of limited time. Definitely watched this season twice, partly because we finished recording last time and I immediately sat down and watched all of this season in like a day and a half. And then a week and a half later went, Oh, definitely I- need to. <laughs> I actually started to try to do that, and I watched the first couple episodes, like, almost, like, a week and a half ago. Mm. And then I had to rewatch them, because I realized a week afterwards, I'm like, I know these episodes, but I don't know them to talk about them right now. Yeah, that's a definite thing. (laughs) Okay, so, let's look at the episodes, I guess. Uh, Episode one, Dish and Dishonesty. Might be one of my favorite episodes of the series. Yeah, I really like this one. I remembered... Bits of this one without understanding context, because I said I grew up watching these, but having I remembered someone doing like political commentary on the House of Lords and being like, oh, that's kind of funny because TVs don't exist, but not getting any of the jokes. So that guy, uh-huh. uh Vincent Hanna. I assume he's a real... He he didn't only do political commentation, but he did... Was basically kind of known for it at yeah. the time. Um, he is credited as his own great-great-grandfather. <laughs> he plays the role of... His, so, mm-hmm. anyways, we are introduced in this one to Prince George, Edmund Bla- uh, Mr. E. Blackadder... I'm just going to keep calling him Blackadder. I need to stop doing that. And Baldrick. And it kind of is implied that Mrs. Megan's works in the prince's employee employee in this one while later on she runs her own coffee shop Mm -hmm. and nothing they do here out of that makes that not fit. She's just like, well, in the last episode also seems to imply a little bit that she's partially working for the prince. Mm -hmm. She at least makes deliveries Mm -hmm. to them. Edmund is clearly the king of the serving staff. In this one. And I have to assume there's a larger serving staff than just the two of them for a Prince Regent. So like, just by nature. Right. It's just we... Limitations of budget concerns, mm-hmm. and we have six episodes, but... The last Blackadder was intelligent. This Blackadder is... Cunning. Cunning is a good word. Yeah. And openly manipulative as opposed to kind of, I mean, even... Well, uh, <laughs> George is dumb enough that he can insult him to his face. Yes. But, Often. <laughs> but I mean, like, Lord Blackadder was kind of uh, cunning and intelligent, but he was still had that kind of obsequious nature. He, he And part of it is, if you're going to 
interact with Queen Elizabeth, you have to grovel. The butler Blackadder, Blackadder III, does not grovel really at any single point, even though he is in a significantly lower Mm -hmm. station. But the basics of this episode, the the basics of it is, uh, you said Pitt the Younger? I'm blanking the name. Yeah, Pitt the Younger. Pitt the Younger, who I just now found out was a real person, has decided that he wants to basically bankrupt the Prince Regent because the Prince Regent is a piece of shit fop (laughs) who lives off the... British country's budget. They just give him money because he's... I'm trying to remember this. The Prince Regent means that he's a member of the royal family, but he's not necessarily going to inherit the throne? Something like that. Like he potentially is going to inherit? This does have one of my favorite lines of this, of we will run on the issue... uh, We will run on the issues, not the uh, member. And more importantly... We will cheat. This is the Black Adder who is openly... I mean, even when he's running the house in the same way that Jeeves runs Wooster's house. We've never watched Jeeves and Wooster's on this show. I need to stop assuming people have watched the somewhat obscure British comedy that I love so much. The Prince Regent or Princess Regent is a prince or princess who, due to their position in the line of succession, rules a monarchy as regent in the stead of a monarch regent, e.g. as result of sovereign's incapacity, minority, or illness, or absence by remoteness such as exile, long voyage, or the absence of an incumbent. So basically, he in, th- he in theory, while not the king, is the head of the British royal family. But because at this point, Britain has a parliament and stuff, he doesn't really have to do anything right so it sounds like uh, i just did a little bit of skimming myself it sounds like he potentially could have done more but sort of as to help keep the peace uh gave away a lot of his governmental uh assignments to the house of lords Mm -hmm. so he wasn't really doing anything but it was partially because he gave it away to them so that they wouldn't get pissed at him. But he shouldn't have had that power no, anyway. No, Prince George is... <laughs> We've seen a lot of useless nobles in this fucking show, and Prince George is the most useless noble out of all of them. Mm-hmm. He is the one that I would most like to hang out with, though. So, in fairness. Yeah, fair. Love Brian Blessed. He would be exhausting to spend an hour with. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're going to try to bankrupt the prince regent so first he's uh first they cheat to put baldrick in the house of commons i learned a lot about fucking british governmental structure and i don't know how much of it i'm actually right on but there is the house of commons and then the house of lords which i don't know how much it still qualifies to this day but as i understand it it was basically a way of not getting overthrown by giving the common people a minor say, a minor say. Yeah. And I mean, it's still a significant amount of power. Yeah. Just especially if they all get together and are behind something. Uh huh. It's still just less than the fucking royalty Mm -hmm. at the time, at least here we get Baldrick's turnip obsession to a pretty, and they're actually, and it's actually turnips. Yeah. (laughs) Not an oddly shaped parsnip. (laughs) (laughs) They keep calling a turnip. Uh, No, so this episode had a couple 
there's a couple little jokes that I had to, I was like, I know that this is a joke. I know that there's something funny going on here. The Rotten Burrow. First off, there were Rotten Burrows back in the day. Um, basically, it was land partitioned away so that it would have its own set of MPs, but tiny enough in actual voters that you could sway all of them to one side or another with very, very easy bribes. Um, in this case, the fictional uh, Rotten Borough of Dunny on the Wald had one voter. Historical Rotten Boroughs had usually at least 12. Jesus <laughs> Christ, 12 fucking voters. Uh, God, that would have sounded... Basically, this is gerrymandering things all to hell to bring it into American terms. Dunny on the Wald. Dunny is Australian slang for an outhouse. Wald is an antiquated English term for a wetlands. So it's a shithole shit in the middle of a swamp. Okay, that sounds right. <laughs> Mr. E. Blackadder, who is the... God, he cheats as open... Like, honestly, he cheats about as openly as the Republican Party does these days. He is running the election. He is the only voter in the election. And he uh, cast... 160,000 votes or something like, like that? Like 1,700 votes. Yeah. <laughs> so I just believe in... Just Mr. S. Baldrick that much. Uh, S standing for sawed off Baldrick. So this is also, this is pretty good. I'm just going to read off this, this write-up because they put it out a lot better than I could. There's that bit where he tells the prince he's going to be back before the prince can say anti-disestablishmentarianism. Obviously the prince isn't going to be able to say that. So that's already funny. Just seems like a long, funny word, but the word itself means the movement of people against people who are against the establishment. Specifically, it was a term that was referred to a 19th century political movement against the separation of the Church of England and the government. Because the prince is the prince regent and is effectively the head of the Church of England and the British sovereign, and the whole series kind of takes place in the early 19th century, and Edmund is going out to recruit MPs to support the prince and oppose who are seeking to remove him from power. That means what Blackadder is doing is it's anti disestablishmentarianism. Yeah. So it is anti anti royalists. Basically. Okay. Basically. <laughs> it's anti anti fascists. And the other bits during the actual elections, the. Um, Standing at the back, dressed stupidly and looking stupid party is actually a reference to something that happens in British politics. I mean, it's also vermin supreme, if we're being honest. It here, is but. vermin supreme, but Britain has a longer standing tradition of of candidates doing this to the point where it's basically every election. There's and some they have, shithead. Um, there's well, there was the keep royalty white. Rat-catching and safe sewage residence party and the standing at the back dressed stupidly and looking stupid party who are a shout-out to the Democratic Monarchist Road Safety White Resident Party and the official monster-raving loony party. I would join that party. Who, like, legit their thing was to be ridiculous, show up dressed ridiculously... And to make 
but because they were did everything through the proper channels, it would force everything to have to accept them in the proper ways and acknowledge them through <laughs> all of the ceremony and the stupidness. Oh, God. The Brits have such an interesting relationship with the, like, pomp and circumstance and ceremony of their own culture. Because they're <laughs> obsessed with it, but also they're aware that it's doofy. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Americans do, too. But we're less, as a culture, we're a little less willing to poke fun at our own shit in the same way. God, I fucking, I love the little crack, though, in this episode that, uh... Blackadder has at Pitt the Younger when it was it he's just like oh something does does he say something about his younger brothers or something and he's just like who do you mean Pit, Pit the, the toddler? toddler? Pit the fetus? Pit the glint in the milkman's eye? <laughs> <laughs> that is uh and then it's Pit the even younger. No, uh let's see, what was my I loved that the the three enemies of the British people that Pitt the Younger swore to overthrew was Napoleon Bonaparte, the Prince Regent, and his math teacher. <laughs> oh my! God. I love the bit, man, when he's when he's enumerating like why he's against the Prince Regent and how he reminds like they bring up of how the regent and nobles in general and the nobility remind them of the the type of bullies at school that would what was it engage in radishing or turniping or whatever it was radishing and then Pitt's speech completely gives away the fact that he had definitely been radished once or twice which we all knew but yes <laughs> and you're like ah. it was good <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's a good way of ending that. Uh, Episode two. Oh, unless you well, have anything else about this first one, other than Balder cast the wrong vote. Balder cast the wrong vote, and then immediately gets rewarded to the House of Lords is very good, and never mentioned again. No, I just fucking loved. Um, Blackadder has him has a like mink cape made, but it's a fucking cat hair and it's, and I was like, okay, that's one probably much more common than people knew back in the day. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were fucking cat shops up until the Victorian era, at least where people would eat cats, but putting on the fucking for the decorations, the cat collars with like Mr. Fuzzy or whatever <laughs> yeah. it was like Mr. Frisky or something like that's that. That's it. And it, it, it uh, a very good use of a modern anachronism that wouldn't have fit in there, but lands the joke very strongly. I think that's why this is one of the best episodes. It's not necessarily the funniest episode, but every single joke lands well. Mm -hmm. Two, ink and incapability. With Hagrid. I was wondering if that was Hagrid. That's, um, oh, I can't think of the actor's name. Robbie Coltrane. Robbie Coltrane. Who was so much smaller in the late 80s. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, you look at me 15 years ago, I was so much smaller too. I'm not throwing sh uh, shade. I just, I had that with Stephen Fry too, because he was still kind of skinny back then. I'm like, mm -hmm. damn, son. He's looking really good in that last episode yeah, of he, this season. Yeah, he probably pulled. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the one with the dictionary. You know, I had somehow never really thought about who was the first person to create the dictionary before this episode, but I'm assuming this is like the real life person who 
It was so. This is one. It is the real life person. Um, this is one of the episodes where you start playing around with the actual timeline. Well, everything in this season, like none of these episodes, can actually have happened in this order if you're fixing them to the actual timeline because of the events mentioned. Mm-hmm. And some of the events mentioned take place more over like a like fifty year time period. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, if I remember right. Dr. Johnson's dictionary would have actually come out when the prince was like nine. Which would explain why he wanted to make sure there was a good action story in the middle of the book. (laughs) Not when he's Hugh Laurie, though. Fair. Uh, Real quick, the plot of this episode, the creator of the dictionary, whose name I do not have, but he's played by... Uh, Dr. Samuel Johnson. Dr. Samuel Johnson has decided or is is trying to get the prince to patronage the publishing of his book, which basically means put the money down to publish this book, and then we both get money back out of it. Like, you get a percentage. Blackadder holds a grudge against this guy because he sent him his manuscript, which sounded fucking awful. It's basically a Mary Sue self-insert adventure epic about a butler that gets laid a lot, which we know does not happen with Blackadder because he admits (laughs) it later on. And so it ranges between casting his revenge against the Doctor to, like, trying to suck up to the Doctor. Was there a theory that Jane Austen was actually a man? I don't know, but I know that that's, like... Because that joke comes from somewhere, you know what I mean? Well, and there were a lot of... So the the running joke is that Blackadder wrote his book under a woman's name and claims that Jane Austen is actually a man named like Edgar or something like that. I don't remember the right. He goes through a shit ton of authors and it's, they're basically all gender swapped. Uh, and I know a big part of that is the fact that a lot of women authors would use male names or use like initial dot last name. Right. So you wouldn't necessarily know that it was a woman while not hiding that it was a woman. Mm-hmm. And when it came out, and a lot of times it was trouble for the women because people went, oh, I was enjoying the work of a, a woman. Or in the case of one character or one author I was thinking of whose name I cannot remember, lesbians. Mm-hmm. No, God, I can't even remember who he all names off because he names off like four or five. And he's like, yeah, this woman's actually a dude. This woman's actually a dude. This woman's actually a dude. This dude is actually a woman, but is only writing because he's trying to get into, or because she's trying to get into the knickers of this woman being addicted. Did I just, I can't remember which order I just did that in. We've swung that around. (laughs) I liked that bit though. That was funny. I just don't know where all that, like, and I knew the whole like real publishing history sort of things, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know if there was also a rumor or something that might have. I don't know. A quick scan of Wikipedia is not showing me that. And to be honest, I wish I had remembered to look this up because I made a note to myself to look this up before Mm -hmm. we recorded. Uh, I think it's just the gender swap of Mm -hmm. the. This episode's like Robbie Coltrane's great. I love all the, the little bits of blackout or throwing out just, ridiculous words at him that he realized he forgot. May I have a quick word? A quick word with you, sir, may take 15 minutes. But I think my favorite part of this episode is once upon a time, there was a lovely little sausage called Baldrick. 
and he lived happily ever after. I don't like long novels. Uh, That's his magnificent octopus. Oh, God. God, Baldrick is so fucking good in this season. Baldrick writes a He writes two novels in this one. Because mm-hmm. the second novel he writes is... I don't remember how it's different, but it... Once upon a time, there was a something little sausage named Baldrick, and then I forget the rest. But uh, my favorite is absolutely Mrs. Miggins' Poets. And as I said, mm. it's uh, Lord Byron and Percy, and they're all dying. And just bring me some laudanum. I'm dying. I'm dying. I need the coffee because I have the vapors. Doesn't one of them threaten to give them all syphilis? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I love ragging on Lord Byron and Mr. Shelley because they both, I mean, like, they're, they were both great authors in mm-hmm. their own right, but fucking Mary Shelley was right fucking there being one of the greatest authors in history. And they're both just such pieces of shit. We, oh my God. I don't know if I, if I said this to you, even though I I don't know why I would have, because it would have just made you mad because of old people in olden times being (laughs) shitty. But it wasn't that long ago. Oh, good. On Fried Squirms that we covered Frankenstein. Which is Frank- Mary Shelley. Well, I know, well like, yeah, like the 31 Frankenstein. Okay, so the classic. The classic universal Frankenstein. Karloff? Yes. Yes. And the thing that both me and Danny noticed in the opening credit sequence, old movie where you threw the credits right up front. Yeah, yeah. As based on story by Mrs. Percy Bryce Shelley. And we were like, throw some respect on Mary Shelley's (laughs) name. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a, uh, I recognize it was a thing of the time, but it is just really gross. Like, that's Mary fucking Shelley. It's Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. She's the mother of science fiction. She's possibly the greatest gothic horror writer of all time. Possibly. I mean, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the top five and the worst. And there is a thing. Have you ever watched? I think it's just called Gothic. It's a very strange movie about that weekend where they all drank a bunch of fucking laudanum. And Oh, no, but I've heard of this. And like, I knew that there was a movie made about it. That movie scares me, but I'm 100 percent aware that it's because the only time I actually watched it was when I was coming down from my first ever mushroom trip and it was Oof. a bad trip. And that was not the movie no. to watch. No. But my lovable but kind of idiotic roommate of the time was like, first, because I was having a bad trip, he put on fucking uh, uh, Moulin Rouge. I mean, that's a better call than Gothic. Yes. But he was like, oh, and we were in going through a trip where we were fucking mm-hmm. obsessed with Moulin Rouge. So I get where he was coming from. We were like 19. Yeah. But he was like, yeah, man. This was such a good choice I made. And he hears me go ah, from the other side of the couch. He's like, this was not the right choice for my boy here. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I think because of my love of Moulin Rouge, though, and all this, I just I do have a fascination with those poets. But I kind of love to hate Lord Byron more than I love Lord Byron. I just, I love making fun of 
the fragility of those assholes. That's really what it is. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> the put on fragility. The, oh God, life is such horrible. I'm just blindingly rich and just jacked full of laudanum. Like, <laughs> Stop drinking opium and absinthe for like four days and you'll feel better. You'll feel great. <laughs> I mean, the opium wear off might be kind of tough, but like. You get some sunlight. Yeah, man. Not too much. You're going to burn. <laughs> I know you're a pasty motherfucker, but just go to Spain for a week. Just a week. Um, God, and like I said, just knowing it was Robbie Coltrane, especially having lost him recently. Uh-huh. As I said, I mean, literally, he's small enough that I wasn't 100% sure it was him at first. But uh, the, I was like, is that the guy who played fucking Churchill and Doctor Who? But no, it's it's Robbie Coltrane. Episode three, Knob and Nobility. This is the Scarlet Pimpernel. The Scarlet Pimple. This is uh, Tim McInerney showing back up. Tim McInerney in a... Role that I actually found more annoying than Percy Percy. Yes. Oh, and this is also Chris Berry showing up. And that's the part I was excited about because we're a red dwarf house in this place, motherfuckers. Right. I forgot how great he is as the revolutionary in this episode. The British hate mainland Europe so much. <laughs> His little dig at the fucking... The... Being pissed off that one of the stereotypes about him is being a prodigious lover. Poor Chris Berry. <laughs> like, why does that poor... I mean, because he's kind of a prat, to use the British term, from everything I've ever fucking heard about him. He's kind of just who he is. So Which they keep, whatever, if that works for him. That's fine. But, like, he was typecast into who... Even in interviews, I kind of hate him. I love him in Red Dwarf. The show would not work without Rimmer. But, like, the coolest thing he's ever done was be the butler with a shotgun in the Tomb Raider movies. And yes. those were not good movies. Uh, but, so the Scarlet Pimpernel, who I actually did not... I, he, the Scarlet Pimpernel is one of those names that I knew but didn't really know. know. Much. Yeah. yeah, like, oh, you know, I'm a fucking outlaw of some kind. Went and saved people. I, know, I always just thought saved people, and then when I realized that he was just some asshole saving French nobility. Really makes it a lot harder to like the Scarlet Pimpernel. Yeah. Um, Especially at a time when French nobility were real shit. <laughs> like, yeah. nobility shit anyway, but... Not really claiming that the French Revolution was good on any side, because, man, right. people took it some weird fucking directions, and people who did not deserve to die died. And... People who didn't deserve to die. The I mean, I don't think I don't support the death penalty, so I don't think anyone should have died. But like, ugh, even people who arguably deserve to die died in ways that were real bad. But yeah, my I am famous for f saving French rich shitheads. Changes. <laughs> I'm a. I'm a. I'm famous for saving the rich during some of the highest income equal inequality ever. Up until modern day. Go fuck yourself, Scarlet Pimpernel. <laughs> I'm trying to look up if it was a real thing. It's um, based off a book written in 1905 or a play. This is unclear. I believe it was a book. One of the funny things with casting Tim McInerney as one of the characters who 
were quote unquote the Scarlet Pimpernel since you find out it was two of them. Mm. Oh, yeah, here, it, it, spoiler it, for the episode. You run into the Scarlet Pimpernel and it's the two assholes two of them from and the they beginning. Both die. Uh, it is a book written after a stage play of the same title. Mm. But the fun thing with casting Tim McGinnerty is that the Scarlet Pimpernel's real name in the book slash play is Percy. Ooh, Ooh that's good. Ugh. I was reading about Tim McInerney. It kind of sounds like he's kind of a weirdo of a dude, but like as a person, mm-hmm. I did not realize he was the guy from the Ood episode of Doctor Who. Oh shit! What? Yeah. Oh, I don't think I realized that either. Whew. Especially because this episode, I'm as soon as Chris Barry's on screen, that's all I'm paying attention to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tim McInerney today. He's. He's yeah, the guy that's, that's running the fucking Doctor Who, uh, the the planet of the Ood in the the fourth season with David Tennant. Right. Oh, the Ood. Oh, that's what I was reading about. He was talking about like he he got in, himself in some trouble because he was talking about these two British sitcoms that I'd never heard of that were super racist, mm. like Archie Bunker on steroids. And he's like, well, they couldn't be made today, but they were brilliant written sitcom. And like, we can't take that away from them. And everyone's like, no, man. <laughs> like that was, was it, was he like heaping praise on the pilot of Heil Honey, I'm Home or something? Uh, let me see if I can. There was a fucking, that springtime for Hitler as a sitcom, basically. Hile Honey, I'm Home is a British sitcom written by Jeff Atkinson produced in 1990, which was canceled after one episode. (laughs) Dear Lord. Uh, Let's see. The quote is from I Love the 70s. I think shows like Mind Your Language and Love Thy Neighbor need to be remembered for what they were. Truly fantastic examples of sitcom writing that haven't been seen since. The content is unfortunate in the cold light of modern society, but that's no reason to stop praising the sheer brilliance of the writers that ITV had in its ranks during that decade. I looked this up. The showrunners of that show were like, those shows were like, we never should have made this. They're openly about, Love Thy Neighbor is openly about a white racist who's pissed off that black people live next to him. Mm. Like, don't need to go into that. I'm sorry. I just read that when I was reading about Tim McInerney. Uh, Chris Berry, on the other hand. Chris Berry. In possibly the most Chris Berry I've ever seen him play. Uh, the the basic plot of this episode is Edmund is so fucking sick of the the uh, everyone being obsessed with the Scarlet Pimpernel. So he claims that it's super easy to go rescue British aristocrats or not British French aristocrats. So he's makes a bet that he will get a stupid amount of money if he goes saves one. But instead, he just finds a random French person in uh, the coffee shop offers to split the money with them if he'll do it. And then they go to the French embassy to be like, see, I rescued this French aristocrat, but it turns out that the French embassy has been taken over by the, the French partisans, the revolutionaries, yeah. which is very obvious when you look at what Chris Berry is wearing. Like that is, I can't believe Chris Berry originally applied for Lister. Ooh, that would not have worked. It would not have. Not important. His line, I fucking couldn't get over. I had to look it up just to be sure. I'm French and I'm hung like a baby carrot and a couple petit, po- <laughs> petit paws. <laughs> oh, God. 
they will never stop making fun of the French. There is something about the British nature, probably because they were at war off and on for like a thousand plus years. So I, I used to have a British roommate for a bit, mm-hmm. uh, still good friends with him. Uh, I think honestly, like not just friends from here in town and like roommates from when I live here in town, but uh, knew him from back home. He was the the grandson of somebody that lived in town. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've known him and his sisters since like, I don't know, the fourth or fifth day that they were in the States. Oh, yeah. So from the beginning. Even as he's let other bits of his vocabulary go and parts of his accent, one bit that will never change, both him and his sisters refuse to say garage. It's a garage because they're not fucking French. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking okay. Yeah, no, they, I mean, and you kind of understand when you think about it, when you look at the number of times that France and Britain went to war (laughs) with each other. Mm-hmm. Literally ever since pretty much people lived on the British Isles. Well before We it was, hate you over there. It's okay, we hate you too. Back when they were all different Celtic tribes, they were still going to war. So like it's not a it's not really a surprise. It's just interesting because Americans we're kind of shitty about it, everyone, but we don't have and because we're such a newer country comparatively, we don't have that one nation that is really we're really, really committed to, like, we're not them. I guess maybe the British. Mm-hmm. But that's probably about the closest. And even then we have, I guess if you want to bring racism into it, the Mexican. Yeah. Mexico. Not the Mexican. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, no, it's still, it's not the same, though. It's not. Yeah, there, there's a, a deep, we get to make fun of you in certain ways. Uh, my favorite line of this one is Baldrick going, Yay, it's the Scarlet Pimpernel! And you killed him! <laughs> really, any time the Scarlet Pimpernel shows up and Baldrick goes, Yay! Just... Even though it's kind of obvious what he's setting up when it happens, I still love the very end of the episode when uh, Blackadder's just explaining to the prince, who's like, well, he obviously wasn't the Scarlet Pimpernel because, <laughs> because the Scarlet Pimpernel would never admit to being the Scarlet Pimpernel. You'd have you'd have to find somebody who, when asked, would say, "Absolutely not." Hugh Laurie's face after he asks and he believes that he's the Scarlet Pimpernel. You're right. That's actually it's an audio medium, so we cannot translate this joke in the way it deserves. But, but um, Hugh Laurie's face sells it. Maybe one of the definitely one of the high points of the entire mm-hmm. Black Adder. <laughs> like just God, Hugh Laurie is such a talent. But Black Adder, you just got back from France and freeing a French aristocrat. Are you, you the, the Scarlet Pimpernel? Absolutely not. I don't know how Black Adder is always as poor as he talks about being with the sheer amount of money that he's eternally scamming the prince out of. He scams so much money this season. Constantly. I mean, he's scamming over a thousand pounds, like almost every episode. If not way more. Some of these episodes, I think he gets tens of thousands. Yeah. Like he's like, oh, I'm just a shitty butler. Oh, no, life is terrible. You're so rich. Like we're not up to Amy and amiability yet, but it makes sense that they're both like it makes sense that the prince is broke in that episode. <laughs> uh, sense and senility is the next one though, which is the, which is the goddamn actors. 
which I fucking love this episode. This episode has my favorite. Macbeth. Macbeth. No, but that is high up there for me. Macbeth. Because I do like watching Rowan Atkinson make fun of actors because he is in some ways the worst kind of actor. Not a bad actor, but the kind like I, I read interviews with him and I just roll my eyes a little bit. Actors making fun of actors is always fun. But yeah, uh, Blackadder saying Macbeth every time because he knows it freaks out actors and they have to do the weird. Oh, God, was it? Uh, hot potato off his drawers. Puck will make amends. And then like pinch each other. Mm-hmm. It's very good. No, it's the uh, the the bit where he quits and bets that they won't last five minutes without him. And then it literally takes four, four and a half minutes, minutes, 22 seconds. <laughs> Baldrick, you owe me a groat. So the prince needs to make a speech because everyone fucking hates him and wants to murder him. Thicky, thicky, thick head. Because people attempt to assassinate him at a play. I do love the gag that he cannot understand that plays are fake. He's constantly trying to have actors arrested and then (laughs) he gets mad at Blackadder for telling him to throw the bomb. He's just like... Here's the problem with you. You don't know when things are real or when they're fake. Boom. So he hires the actors who are infuriating. Good job of theater actors being the worst. Uh, Played by Hugh Paddock and Kenneth Connor, just because they are such big parts of this episode. Mm -hmm. Oh. Oh. Oh, oh? Hugh Paddock is most probably most famous way back in the day for being on the 60s radio show Round the Horn. Sorry, noises. However, him and Kenneth Williams, who's another actor that didn't appear in this episode, are generally credited as the actors slash celebrities, whatever, that brought the use of Polari to the mainstream. I don't know what Polari is. Polari was uh, the secret underground British gay slang. Okay. Actually, suddenly I'm infinitely more fascinated in this man. Polari is what Danny the Street communicates in. Oh, shit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So was Hugh Patrick gay? I think so. It would have been hard for him to know Polari that well during that time period, if not. Fair, 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 fair. <laughs> well, good. I mean, they clearly seem to be a couple, uh, the, the actors in this. They don't directly say it, but there's the implication there. A little stereotype, but that's fine. The uh, the the other guy, too, Kenneth Connor, the, the other actor in this, he also seems to be mostly famous from the old BBC radio, mm-hmm. but then of course went on to be like acting, acting too later. Well, they're of the right age for that of, they were older men actors in the late eighties, which means they would have been, if they'd been active the whole time would have, you know, one thing to remember one, we forget how big radio was just in general for us because we've always had TV around, but also Radio stayed big in Britain a lot longer than it has in Mm -hmm. America. Uh, And the existence of the radio play remains a big thing today, which is really interesting considering that the closest Americans have to like the concept of radio plays is audio books and podcasts. 
I believe the yeah, I believe he starred in a few of the Carry On films once he got into film past uh-huh. radio, which was a big thing in British comedy back in the day, but I don't know if they've made one since like 78. Like I think they made a shit ton of them, but it was all between like 58 and 78. I think they made like 31 films that are Fuck. all like like Carry On, like Carry On Cruising, Carry On This, Carry On That, and like I think he started in a few of those. It's the earnest movies of yeah. Britain in the 50s and 60s. Um shit, I didn't know that one guy helped popularize Polari though. That's, That's cool. cool. Yeah. The basic plot of this is Edmund is increasingly frustrated that the prince disrespects him and the actors disrespect him, especially considering he thinks of himself as better than the actors, uh, culminating in him rage quitting and Baldrick and Prince George immediately falling apart and thinking the actors who are reading a play are planning to kill the prince. I do enjoy Hugh Laurie repeatedly attempting to kill... Baldrick because he thinks that he's a revolutionary when he finds out that the people hate him. I don't have as much on this episode. It's funny. It's one of the better ones of the season, I think. But I think this is one one of the ones that like me and my friends growing up that watch Blackadder reference the most mm-hmm. because of the Macbeth stuff. Oh, Macbeth! And like we were all in plays together in high school, and so like. If we said fucking Macbeth behind the scenes, we would start giggling because we knew we had to do the thing, but we could never remember. Pop potato off the stairs, puck something that anyway. Uh, yeah. Him trying to get Brutus arrested, maybe the best joke in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That There's, was pretty good. He killed this Matt chap name uh, fucking Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar. How bad was Brutus at the end of it? Uh, Amy and amiability. It's where they need to marry for money and the shadow. This is okay. I don't know. I don't know if this is better than the first episode because the first half, I don't think is as strong, but the second half with the, the highwayman is I think funnier. So like it, if it had kept up with that same level, the whole episode, this would have been the best episode of the season. Just the Amy Hardwood stuff gets old. Mm -hmm. When you combine it with who she actually is, it gets interesting. So, turns out the prince is broke because he's become a big fan of cards, but he literally seems to think that the way you play cards... Is to give away your money as fast as you can. Uh Uh-huh. He's very good at it. Blackadder sucks because he always seems to end up with more money than what he started with. (laughs) This is really where the prince gets his absolute dumbest because of that, though. Like, this is, I think, the high point for the prince's stupidity, which is saying something. He needs to marry for money. This is the one one where I think he has my favorite insult to the prince, which is, he owns more mills than you have brain cells. How many mills does he own? Seven. It's a lot of mills. <laughs> this is another one of the ones where like, there's a bunch of good stuff, but my favorite line, my favorite bit isn't Blackadder. It's well, I mean, Blackadder's involved. It's when he goes to Mr. Hardwood to, to tell him the intentions and he goes, you know, the Prince, he, he wants to take your, your daughter for his wife. Well, his wife can't have her. 
That's good. Uh, and then they find out that the woman that he's trying to woo, who's played by the actress who... Pl- or Miranda Richardson, who Miranda is Rich- Queenie. Yes. Who just needs to be mentioned because she's so good at doing weirdo voices. Mm-hmm. Ugh, uh, turns out that she's super broke as well, which leads to the, the uh, ending of the fucking marriage proposals. And Blackadder, to save his job and himself and the prince... As kind of an afterthought, takes up the highwaymen stuff, which leads to my favorite part, which is the process of Blackadder riding Baldrick because the horses are gone. <laughs> what do you think you've been eating for the past two months? Uh, to rob a coach with a old senile British gentleman and his young daughter who is a very much parody of a lot of characters that come from like old school highwaymen gags who is a pregnant opium fiend who wants to run off with the highwaymen into the life of a outlaw yeah best scene right there also him kissing baldrick (laughs) uh and then him robbing baldrick was almost like quark from deep space nine and the revelation that the obnoxious cute girl from the beginning is actually the secret shadow. It's a good episode. It's a real, the first, as I said, the first, it feels like two episodes in one, which is why I think the first half isn't as strong, but it does take interesting directions. So I, um, I, I don't know how I didn't manage to say this sooner, one of my favorite things in doing a little bit of research for this show that I ran into is the fact that there is a blackadderquotes.com. Oh my God. Now, let me put it this blackadder quotes. There's a lot of dialogue, but there's also only so many episodes, right? Yeah, there's six episodes a season and four seasons. There's 24? Yes. So a Blackadder Quotes page could be really boring, (laughs) or you could do like they did. They just put the full script of every episode up on this website. Oh, those cheating bastards. (laughs) (laughs) So BlackadderQuotes.com, if you want to check through the actual, the the full scripts of every one of these episodes. Also, Hulu. Just go watch this on Hulu. Why are you listening to us when you could be watching Mm -hmm. this on Hulu? But, um, yes, I'm all about that. And just being able to scroll through this and concubines, Baldrick, not porcupines. Oh, God. Uh, the fact that Baldrick is in this one keeping a black, a the shadow scrapbook that is just. I mean, in the same way of like, God, there's such a fascinating thing about true crime and it's always been true. The way that we're obsessed with things ranging from highwaymen to serial killers to mm-hmm. anytime someone a criminal, especially if it's a roguish, charming criminal we're fascinated with. People are saying he's on his way to being the new Robin Hood. How new? Well, he steals from the rich. He's halfway but there. He's halfway there. He steals from the rich, but he hasn't given any to the poor yet. It's pretty good. I also just realized that Mr. Hardwood is dim from Clockwork Orange, and that's kind of exploded my brain a little bit. (laughs) All right, what's left? We have one, the last episode? Yeah, Duel and Duality. (laughs) McAdder. 
We have McAdder. We have Stephen Fry. Uh, the Prince George has gotten into an affair or had an affair. He banged the what nieces? Yes, of, the Duke of Lord of Wellington. Wellington. Lord Wellington. Americans don't understand what big dick energy Lord Wellington is to the British people, from what I understand. Lord Wellington is the man to beat Napoleon. Americans are super aware of who Napoleon is, but we don't seem to talk about... Good old Wellesley. Lord Wellesley as much. Uh, Lord Wellesley, when he was like 75, when uh, people were terrified of Spring-Heeled Jack put on his old military uniform, took out his pistols, and rode his horse around the streets of London at night trying to capture Spring-Heeled Jack. <laughs> this is true facts. I'm it's not amazing. making shit up here. <laughs> I love the whole little interplay between... not So not just uh, the Duke and Blackadder dressed up as Prince George... Be, Prince George beating the shit out of Prince George, but just like their compartmentalization of their duel and the rest of what they have to do and how they just like sit down for tea and come up with their battle plans. And yes. Okay. So to finish up, uh, Lord Wellington is sworn to kill anyone to duel. Anyone to kill anyone who, uh, fucks around with his family. (laughs) That engages in sexual deviancy. (laughs) So the Prince George convinces Blackadder to swap places with him, basically, with the original plan that it turns out that MacAdder is in town, his insane Scottish cousin. And he's like, oh, I'll just make MacAdder do it mm-hmm. for me. We look the same. Except I mean, I don't he, doesn't, that. he doesn't admit that. But. Uh, uh, so we get to make fun of the Scots now, too, because, you know, we haven't made fun of every other country in Europe across the point of the series. Uh, but when that fails, he's just convinced to do it for all of the prince's money. Mm-hmm. This is one of the goofier episodes, I think, especially when we get time to the duel. Uh, I do enjoy the amount that they get to just beat the shit out of Hugh Laurie in this one. They're not Good fake punches, but they don't need... It's like Letterkenny. I don't need them to be, like, a realistic fight scene. So some of the punches were definitely fake punches. I'm pretty sure they connected on some of the slaps. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) I could see Hugh Laurie being much more open of, like, yeah, okay, just slap me. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure they relished in the getting to to box him around the fucking stage a little bit. Makes me think of the woman who plays River Song. I can't think of her name in Doctor Who. Um, oh, God, I should know this because I love ER, but... Is it that actress apparently just always really slaps. Mm. To the point that, like, she's supposed to slap someone, the woman who plays Madame Vastra, and in the notes it says, so-and-so slaps you. Good luck, Evie. <laughs> you're like, oh, no, man. Like, Oh, that's good. There's a very obviously Prince of the Popper. I do enjoy how bad Prince George is at playing the butler. Mm-hmm. Remains very stupid the whole time. Doesn't quite understand that everyone actually hates him. The part that made me laugh with that one is when he uh, makes Black Adder scoot over so he can like join them for the tea and strategy session. <laughs> oh, <laughs> bunch of the, the your highness, your highness, your highness, your highness. Your highness. 
And yeah, watching them just beat the fuck out of him is probably the most memorable thing. And then this ends with Duel by Cannons, which is a Monty Python level gag. I the whole the whole duel you could put in a Monty Python skit and change nothing. I love how it just straight up skewers the whole like fucking protective good luck charm in your pocket mm-hmm. trope. Also the super loyal butler who will take the place yada yada and this mm-hmm. one's like nope. That might be my favorite line of this of like there's many things that men will fight for. For country, for honor, for the tear of a gold-skinned child. But me, I'd mud-wrestle my old mother for a wad of cash and amusing clock and a bag full of British, or, uh, and a bag full of French porn. Uh, I love the little bit where, um, when they're selling the idea to Prince George, because the Duke doesn't know what anybody looks like. Uh Uh-huh. He's like, well, he's seen... He's like, he's seen portraits of me. He's like, so he's going to know what I look like. And Baldrick's like, yes, but my cousin Bert Baldrick, Mr. Gainsborough's butler's dog body, says that portraits nowadays are painted to a romanticized ideal rather than the idiosyncratic features of the subject in question. And Blackadder, then your cousin clearly has a much larger vocabulary than you. (laughs) Baldrick's best season. Yes. Just Baldrick's best season. Maybe... I'm still going to have to put it up against next season because I remember him being Of not the quite... three that I have seen, yes. Baldrick's best season. Gainsborough, I think, is a painter, mm-hmm. too. So that's another... This this show cannot stop referencing British famous people. Yeah, Thomas Gainsborough is a painter. Oh, he did Blue Boy. Despite being a prolific portrait painter, Gainsborough gained greater satisfaction from his landscapes. It doesn't matter. He's always going to be known for doing Blue Boy. Yeah. Oh, God. Man, that shit looks so uncomfortable to wear. Yeah. Yo, speaking of wearing things, though, like, whenever um, Blackadder throws on his, like, overcoat in this season when he's about to head outside, that overcoat is fucking baller. The overcoat is great in the same way that, honestly, Edmund's... Well, some of it looks uncomfortable because it's strange eras of clothing. In these, both of these two seasons, Edmund's looks tend to be pretty sharp. I just wish he had the goatee still in this season. Yeah. It wasn't nearly as much of a, a the style to wear beards right. in this time, though. Beards will come back in the Victorian era much more, but for sexist reasons. <laughs> women's are slow. Women's. God damn it told you I'm worn out. Women get more rights, and so men get start getting freaked out about it, so beards come back in fashion to be like, well, you have stuff, but we can grow beards. <laughs> get the fuck over yourselves. Man, I enjoy this season. I'm still gonna, well, like I said at the beginning, though, I think I'm still gonna go by, like, this is maybe the, f- I'm surprised at how much I actually laughed out loud during the season. I think it might be the overall most even Funniest mm-hmm. season. I still like the Blackadder from second more. And I think the next season is overall a just just better. It's just brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's just brilliant. It for. Like, I'm almost scared to watch it because of, like, the amount of brilliant credit it gets. But I also know that it's so fucking good. 
I think the thing that makes me like this, the thing that thinks this one is more even than the last one is the last one still relied a little more on like screechy voices and like weird, like not just screechy, but like weird voices for humor and stuff. While this one, it's all just punchlines. It's just yeah. humor the whole way through. It's again, we talked about it last time and why we tried to like, these are gags that we thought worked best. It is sometimes hard to talk about black adder because it's just gag, gag watching gag. quips for quip, 30 quip, minutes. Quip, yeah. Snark quip insult. <laughs> this is the most physical black adder that we've seen, I guess like in some ways, because well, you know, Lord, Edmund Blackadder from the second season punched the German guards in the dick and like threw a knife and stabbed a guy mm-hmm. at the German one. But this one is repeatedly like grabbing Baldrick and like threatening him and hitting him and really just being shitty to the help. But that's what happens like said, when you're middle management. It's also mentioned multiple times the different murders he commits. Yes. We don't see it on screen. But he definitely really fucking kills some people. Well, and then he allows for the fucking Prince Regent to die at the very mm-hmm. final bit and pretends to be the Prince Regent from then on because the fucking insane father has no idea that it's not his son. He has to go marry a potted plant, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Which does make it interesting because we were talking about every season he goes a little lower in... Mm-hmm. position although the lower in position is a little more variable between the season and next because a officer even if not you know a captain's not a wildly high-ranking officer but it's not a low-ranking officer either a captain in the british army versus a butler versus the butler of the prince regent uh, is maybe a step up because you have that whole like i'm in the military authority kind mm-hmm. of thing but again when we say butler, we think of, like, the butler from the nanny or something like that. Like, a, right. a, we, we, we don't, you know, the butler from Mr. Deeds. We don't think of, like, he's the head of the household of the Prince Regent. It, it, outside of the gentry, you wield a lot of power. Mm-hmm. That's the gag that we left out of this one. The fact that Mac Adder takes Mrs. Miggins... Yes. Back to Scotland <laughs> to go fight, I think, the goddess, like, a, a goddess naked? I don't remember the whole thing, but she has to go fight someone naked, and I want to say it was someone from Celtic legend. Yeah, I don't remember. And she's soups into it. D- does she have to fight somebody from legend, or is it just that Mecha Adder's wife has a similar name. She has to go fight his current wife. That might be it. I don't, I did not do the research I needed to do for that. I think that's what it was, but I think you're right. I think the name that's given is at least close to something. Anyway, it's close enough that I understand where you're getting that from. Like that makes sense to me. (laughs) Okay. So next time we're going to finish up the black adder with black adder goes forth. So we're going to cry for episode 100. We're going to cry, yep. And we will be celebrating our 100th episode. Uh, we might try and do something fun. We don't know yet. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to talk about it, figure it out. Yeah. 
if nothing else, like you all celebrate. I just keep thinking about you guys celebrate. Yes, yeah, celebrate. God damn it, celebrate. And I just keep thinking about like, okay, let's be honest. People who know me, it's not a wild surprise. I start projects and abandon them extremely quickly without meaning to. And when people found out I was on like episode 20, and that's when we were still doing this weekly. So that was I mean, we still podcast weekly, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people are like, oh, really? And I'm like, it's been like three months, man. I'm like, calm down. Um, <laughs> You're like, give me like at least one more month to abandon. I mean, it was more. It was like four or five. <laughs> now we're at episode 100. I think grand total, you and I are nearing 200 episodes of podcasting together across the various shows. I was about to say, depending on how you want to count word balloons. Oh, my God. Where we're in season seven. They're like 10, 15 minutes each, but still, like, we put... We blast out a lot of fucking podcasts, my dude. Um, yeah. So come back next time. We might discuss a little bit of that as well as Black Adder mm-hmm. goes forth. And we'll have a nice little cry. Feel the emotions. I I mean, I love the season. I'm not sure how much I'm looking forward to bawling my eyes out at the end of the last episode. You cry at a drop of a hat, so that'll be interesting. <laughs> um, but that's going to be fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> In the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends, we always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, email us generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, while you're there, check out all of our back catalog or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.